saw something. Okay, the wisdom insight today was meant to be on pride. We're going to be talking about pride. But somewhere along the way, I'm sitting in the golf cart and just had this word that I wanted to bring this morning. But I'm not going to deviate too far from our Wisdom and Insight series. It is all on pride this morning, but I'm going to take a different spin and angle on it. I'm going to jump in from Judges. Uh, our key passage this morning, don't put it up yet. Our key passage this morning is in Judges chapter uh, 16, verse 20. So write that down. Uh, we'll come to it. It is a passage and a verse that um, I, I read multiple times but every time I read it, it puts the fear of God in me all over again. It's one of those passages that if I, if I were to get more tattoos, which again, I'd like to get more tattoos, but my beloved wife says I can't because it's unsanctimonious, it's unholy. Um, it's just, <laughs> she, <laughs> she says something like, so I can go get one then, okay. Um, I would get this tattooed on me because it's one of those passages that, man, if, 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 it's hard, geez, I don't want to say this because there's so many good passages of Scripture, but I would think if, the, if, if there was a passage of Scripture I would want you to remember for the rest of your life, it would be this one. The, the, it, it's right, in my book, it's right up there with uh, Romans uh, uh, chapter 5. It's right up there with uh, John 3.16. It's right up there with Jeremiah 22. It's not as anywhere near as encouraging as all those, but what it does for you, and I pray it does for you as it's done for me over the years, it's really given me a sober reality of just again what matters in this life and again a, a, a fresh take on a genuine fear of the Lord which what in our wisdom series fear of the Lord is what the beginning of wisdom so in the spirit of our wisdom series I thought this was a perfect passage to start off with but before I get to it I want to give you some backstory I was going to read all of it because uh, the story starts in Judges chapter 13 and goes all the way to chapter 16 now as much as I'd love to read three chapters of Bible to you you all know as much as I know that I'm a long-winded communicator, so we wouldn't get anywhere near being finished. I'm going to summarize the, the, the backdrop to where we are in Judges chapter 16. So where we pick up is, it's the story of Samson. You've, you know, all of you are Bible lovers, Bible scholars, and it's the story of Samson. And again, just for those, again, backstory, Samson, uh, his parents are Manoah and they don't mention his mom's name. Manoah's wife is just what it is, which is, again, is not uncommon in the Bible. But uh, Manoah, his dad is from the tribe of Dan and his mom is from the tribe of Judah. And those are things that are very important to know um, as you get to diving in, as you learn about the tribes of Israel, which I'll teach um, in the coming weeks, years. I don't know I, if I can ever finish this Wisdom and Insight series. That was only meant to be three weeks and now we're what, week six? Um, and we still have another five weeks to go, so good luck. But at some point I'll talk about the different tribes of Israel because it's important to know someone's lineage and someone's heritage because it speaks volumes. It, it tells you, it gives insight into their way of thinking. It gives insight into what God is doing. And it really really demonstrates to you how God will orchestrate and weave a beautiful story through your own lineage. Some of you don't like where you came from. Some of you don't like your family line. But let me tell you something. God will use your genealogy. God will use your family line to either bring Himself glory through you or even perpetuate you and propel you into some great, great things because God is interested in the generations. And you could be the very person that God uses to become the glory, the, the picture of His power 
and His grace and His anointing over your family line. You could be the very first. I know for my family, I was the very first to give their life to Jesus. I was the very first to be in ministry. I'm the very first to surrender their hearts to Him. And I've already seen that now is going to trickle down. And there's this beautiful, if I drew, if I draw my genealogy, there is, there's brokenness, there's fatherlessness, there's divorce, there's alcoholism, there's all kinds of substance abuse. But I love that I can tell the story of my great God to go, boom, right here, a heart surrendered, change the trajectory of my children, change the trajectory of the generations. So it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your genealogy looks like because if God's in your story, my God, He can write a whole new one because He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Do you believe that this morning? I don't resent where I came from because it just gives me a bit of testimony. I will bear witness to the grace and the goodness of my God. What does the Bible say? We will overcome by what? The blood of the Lamb and the what? The word of my testimony. So yes, devil, you try to make me ashamed of my history. You try to make me ashamed of my genealogy. But Lord, I'm going to use it as a witness to bring power and overcome in Jesus' name. I don't know why I said all that, but it is good. I was just, I, you know, I, 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 just, I just was ready to preach this morning. I, you know, I love the Wisdom Insights series. You know, I've been sitting here being so composed, talking on wisdom. I just miss preaching the Word of God. But anyway, anyway, I've got to keep going. But anyway, so uh, to give you some context, his, his mom, uh, uh, Manoah's wife, Samson's mother, uh, she is, if you do a little bit of research into her story, into her history, you'll learn that she was one of the 23 women in, in Israelite, in the Israelite kind of in her tribe who were really held to high esteem. She was known as a woman of righteousness. She was known as a woman who was just. She was known as a woman who genuinely loved the Lord and lived according to His commands. But what we learn about her story is that she is barren. So she is, though she is esteemed in the very same culture, this is so true of even that today, in the, the very same culture that will propel you up and prop you up for the things that it celebrates, it'll be the very same culture that'll tear you down for something else. And this is why we cannot build our security and build our hope and build our trust and build our faith and build our futures on what the culture says and what people around me say. I build my life on the Word of God because the very culture that, that propelled her and exalted her for being a righteous and just woman was the very same culture that shamed her for being a barren woman. And especially in Jewish culture, barrenness was a shameful scorn. In fact, much, much of the time, you'll start to see how the Bible weaves its, its, itself through Old Testament, New Testament. Because in Old Testament, if you were a barren, you wouldn't be invited to parties. You wouldn't be invited to banquets. You wouldn't be invited to feasts. Because again, people who are hosting these feasts would say things like these. What benefit is it to invite them to my feast because I could get nothing in return from them? Because they'll never bear children of their own, so I will never be invited back to a feast. There was this culture that we, back then, which I think is still very much true today, is our, our culture was divided by classes and people were, who you hung out with, who was at your dinner table, table fellowship, said a whole lot about your esteem and your status in society. And so what would happen is that those who were barren or those who were sick or those who had a scornful shame about their lives were never invited because, again, from the host perspective, it could never be reciprocated. This is why, fast forward, if you know, New Testament, as Jesus is talking about the great banquet, He says, what benefit is to you to just invite those who can get something, who you can get something in return from? He's speaking to that very same tradition in Jewish culture. It's like, no, 
true faith, true religion is being able to extend a helping hand, to extend grace, to extend kindness, to extend an invitation into your home, into your life, to bless those in your life who you may never get anything from. And so this is the life that she's living. She's living scorned and full of shame. But I love that our God is a redemptive God. He was redemptive then. He's redemptive now. And he'll be redemptive for your future. He'll be redemptive for little Samara. He'll be redemptive for Titus and Roman. He'll be redemptive for this baby, beautiful baby girl here who's going to preach one day because she wants to get up here. Redemptive for you, Sebastian. I love redemptive for Ezekiel. Redemptive for Isaiah and, uh, and uh, uh, Ellie. It and 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 Knox and Sadie and and so forth. All the kids in our church. I can't keep up. Um, but I love that he's a redemptive God. Because watch what happens: is that the angel of the Lord appears to Manoah's wife and says, "I know you have been barren, but your righteousness and your heart's posture toward me has not fallen on deaf ears, and you will be with child, and I will give you a child." And he won't just be a child, but he'll be a child that is dedicated unto the Lord. And he will become the mouthpiece. And he will become the forerunner. And he will become the champion as I deliver my people from the hands of the Philistines. Let me tell you something. Sometimes your greatest curse, sometimes your greatest shame, God will use to become your greatest treasure. My God. So don't despise the things in your life that have brought you pain. Don't despise the things in your life that may have brought you shame. Don't despise the things in your life that maybe you don't, you wouldn't like people to know because our God is powerful enough to rewrite your story. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't gaslight you. He doesn't change the narrative, but He redeems it and He restores and He reconciles and He renews and He makes you whole again. This is the God that we serve. And I'm telling you, my God, it is a gift. And I was thinking about this morning, I thought this is a word for somebody in the room that don't despise the places of your life that have brought you shame. There are things that have happened to you. They, they should have never happened to you. You should have never been exposed to that. You should have never been treated like that. No one should have ever spoken to you like that. That should have never happened to you. And you have been living your life in shame over it. But let me tell you something. The God that we serve is not a God of shame. The God that we serve is not a God of condemnation. The God that we serve, He is a God of grace. He's a God of second chance. He's the God of renewal. He's the God who empowers. He's the God who covers love, covers a multitude of sin that you might not walk in shame, but you'd walk in victory in life and in joy and in peace and in wholeness. And so he takes this barren woman and he gives her a child and takes what was her greatest shame and it becomes her greatest treasure. And I love that she's also in great company because here's what I also, re I didn't really discover this until I was doing some, again, more study on this. But you look at, the, we often talk about how God is the God of, uh, Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's a generational God. Do you know what's interesting about those three people is that Abraham's wife, Sarah, what was her story? She was barren and God took her shame and made it His glory. Then she had a son and his name was Isaac. And Isaac, what was Isaac? Isaac's wife was who? Rebecca. What was Rebecca's story? She was barren. And God took her shame and said, your story could have been this way, but because you surrendered your life to me, I'm going to rewrite it and I'm going to make it to good. And she bore Jacob and Esau. What was Jacob's wife's names? Leah and Rachel. What was Rachel's story? She was a barren woman, but look what God did. She, God took three women 
who were once barren and took their children and said, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob. I will take your greatest shame and make it your greatest treasure. And I will not only give you children, but I will speak of your children as my great inheritance. That's the God that we serve. My God! As long as I'm still breathing, God can take my story and turn it around. There's a song I wanted to sing for Shalom, but Chris is like, we're not that kind of church. I said, we are that kind of church. It says, you pick me up, you turn me around, you set my feet on solid ground. I thank the Savior, Master. I thank the Savior. I thank God. Hey, because He picked me up. He turned me around. He set my feet on solid ground. Ah! My God. Woo! You can tell I came ready, I was fired up. I miss preaching. I think it's this room. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I don't special occasions. Who cares? We're gonna be here all day. <laughs> but you, can you see what I'm saying? And he takes Manoah's wife and he gives her a child who becomes one of the longest reigning judges in Israel. He reigned for 20 years as a judge in Israel. In fact, he was a lot, one of the last judges in Israel before they switched to the monarchy and became kings. So his, his story is one that shall not be forgotten, will forever be etched into the pages of history. That is our God. Woo! Anyway, I'm not even preaching about that. That's, that's got nothing to do with anything I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to give you the, the backdrop before we actually preach this morning. But, uh, but watch, watch, I need a towel. I need something. It's cooking in here. Uh, I'm hot. <laughs> um, thank you, Tommy. Um, add some water. Uh, anyway, we'll leave the water. Uh, but her dad, his dad, Samson's dad, his name is Manoah. Now, there's not a whole lot in the Bible about Manoah, but the verses that are in the Bible about Manoah, in fact, if for all the fathers in that room and all the fathers who will watch online because you couldn't get out of bed to get to church this morning, um, listen to Manoah's outlook. Listen to Manoah's posture. And I think there's no wonder why God chose this family. There's no wonder, because let me tell you something about our God. Again, in the, in the, in the spirit of our wisdom series, God will always honor righteousness and he will always honor humility. Listen to this. So the angel appears to Manoah's wife and says, you will be with child. And she begins to tell him, hey, you should never drink wine. You should never cut his hair, so forth and so forth. She then goes and tells Manoah, her husband, hey, the angel Lord appeared to me, said we're gonna be with child. Listen to what Manoah does. Thanks, Thomas. Give it up for Thomas. Thank you. Lord, Lord, help me preach this this morning. But listen to his, his posture. Mm, mm, mm. Refreshing. Mm. Oh, God. That's what happens when I don't sleep very long. I'm running on three hours of sleep. That's what happens. I get giddy. But anyway, Manoah, Manoah hears this. And look at what he says and look what he does. In, in um, Judges chapter 13, verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord. This is, this, this is his immediate reaction. Manoah prayed to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Is that not just the most wonderful posture from a man of God? And I tell you, for all you who are parents, this ought to be our prayer. Ms. Valerie, I pray you pray this. Mark this, highlight this somewhere, and you'll write this down somewhere. Lord, I beg you, come again and teach us how to bring up the boy 
who was to be born. He heard he was going to be a father. He didn't automatically look to his history. He didn't look to himself. He didn't look to what he knew. He didn't look to his own wisdom. He didn't look to his own strength. He didn't look to his own expertise. What did he do? He postured himself to go, Lord, this is a gift. Would you teach us how to bring up this boy? And I think that is a heart posture that speaks of humility. And again, in the context of wisdom and insight, it is the opposite of pride. Pride says, I know how. Pride says, I've got this. Pride says, what's a what's cultural reference these days? I'm him. I'm him. So stupid. You're not him. He's him. You know, you exist because of him. Um, but anyway, I love that posture. And then it goes on to say this. Um, so then the, 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 the angel appears again and he says, when your words are fulfilled, he asks the question, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? And I just read that passage and I thought, I pray we approach our whole, not just raising of children, but I pray we approach every aspect of our lives like this. Lord, how do I do this? What is your instruction? What is your guidance? What is your way? Not my way, but your way. Not my will, but your will. Not my wisdom, but your wisdom. Not our culture, but your truth. I pray that is the, uh, that is the way we approach every, every part of our lives and how we live, that we would decide, oh, she's moving. I love it. You might want to come get it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, 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 cables you could trip on there. Um, I love it. Uh, we need more children in this church, Lord. Bring them to us. Bring them to us. Um, we go again, Kristen. I'm going to pop little Bella out and go again. Who thinks we should have Irish twins? Yep. Yes. <laughs> but I just, I just love Manoa's heart there. And I think it's worth it both as fathers, both as mothers, both as people of God, that we would always have Manoah's posture of humility. God, teach me your way. I don't want to ever go. And again, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is where I'm going in a minute. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> Samson's then born. It says of Samson that the woman gave birth, Manoah's wife, to a boy and named him Samson. This is uh, Judges chapter 13, 24. Uh, he grew and the Lord blessed him. And uh, watch this the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Manna, uh, in Mahana, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtaol. Watch that. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. The Spirit of God is not just a New Testament idea. The Spirit of God at work in our lives is not just an idea for those who call themselves Pentecostals. The power of the Spirit exists in the Old Testament, exists in the New Testament. He was there at the beginning of the earth. He's there in the, in the inhabitants of the earth and He'll be there once all is said and done. The Spirit of the Lord empowered Him and began to stir in Him. And then it says this, um, and the story goes on. Uh, he, he grows up, he gets married. He wants to, start, he wants to marry uh, a Philistine woman. Now bear in mind, they've been oppressed by Philistines. But again, it was part of God's greater plan. If you read, in fact, I'll read it to you just so you know I'm not making this up. But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me because his parents didn't want him to marry a Philistine woman. But the Bible says this, the Bible tells us his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. So sometimes things don't quite make sense, but this is why it's so important to always seek the Lord and, seek, and see what God is up to. 
I, you know, so there are a lot of things, even we're living in a lot of things right now that just don't quite make sense. There's things that God has asked us to do. There's things that we're doing right now that in a lot of ways don't make sense. But I love that we've always sought the Lord. We've inquired of the Lord like Manoah did. And so God, what are you up to? And some things that didn't make, to, make sense to us in the, in the moment, as we sought heaven's wisdom, they began to make a whole lot more sense. And this is what I'm encouraging as we talk on wisdom and insight. It is crucial for all of you to gain wisdom by inquiring of the Lord and to gain insight into what God is doing and what he is up to because his parents almost missed what God was trying to do by getting Samson to marry the Philistine woman. So anyway, that's just the backstory. Um, then he grows up and he becomes one of the judges of Israel and he then goes on to torment and he's one of the strongest, again, you know the story, he's one of the strongest men to ever live. Uh, he literally took a lion and tore it in two like he was looking at a little rag doll. Um, and and, and he, he would defeat thousands upon thousands of people at one time. Samson was a great, great warrior under the power of the Spirit. In fact, it says this, just again, so you're not, I'm not making this up, Judges chapter 14, verse six, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully, and watch this, it's the Spirit of God in him that was at work. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. I love that they say a young goat as if I could do that with a young goat. Like, hey, like a goat's normal. Like think about like how you tear a goat apart. He did that with a lion. Homie, even a goat's impressive. Like, you know what I mean? Like, any, anyway, that's how strong Samson was. So it gives you an indication. It's, it's the Spirit of God in him that was willing him to work. It was the Spirit of God in him that empowered him. It was the Spirit of God in him that strengthened him. But watch what happens. And this is where we get to our main passage. Uh, in fact, I'm jumping a few here, but again, I feel like you know the story. Uh, he marries Delilah and Delilah is again, and, and I've got a whole message on Delilah alone. Um, uh, and, and anyway, she uh, persuades him to give up his secret to her strength so that she can give up his secret to the Philistines so the Philistines can defeat Samson who has tormented them for 20 years. And ultimately, Again, if you think back to what I talked about, a temptation might have been two weeks ago. And I talked about stay away from her door. Don't even, don't even mess with it. He just kept putting himself in a position where Delilah could keep pressing, to keep pressing. And eventually it wore him down and he gave up the secret to his strength, which was the cutting of his hair. And so she, he tells her the story. She goes and tells the Philistines, they come and cut his hair. And this is where we get to our passage this morning. I know I took the long way around there. I took the scenic route, you know. <laughs> I've never really been a direct kind of part kind of guy. Give me the scenic crowd. I always think on a golf course, you know, I take that out. Okay. Just, <laughs> Kristen's like, you're done. Um, and this is where we pick up this passage in Judges chapter 16, verse 20. It says, he woke up after they'd cut his hair. Watch this. L listen to the language here. Listen to the language. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go about as before and just shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. There's some key words here. He awoke from his sleep and thought, watch this, I'll go out as before. What did that speak of? A trust in self. Ah, I was doing it anyway. I'll just go out as before, like I've always done. I'll wake up and just do what I've always done and I'll just break myself free. I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Does that sound like a man who's relying on the Spirit of God? 
Does that sound like a man who daily wakes up and inquires of the Lord? Does that sound like a man who wakes up and daily goes, Lord, upon you I am reliant. Upon you is my breath, the very breath I breathe, the very word that sustained me is yours. I'm only able to wake up this morning because of your goodness. I was only able to breathe this morning because you willed it. I'm only able to go to work today because you have given me the ability to do so. I'm only able to provide and have what I have because you allow it. Because the Bible reminds me that from Him, and by Him are all things. I do not exist in and of myself. The very breath that is in my lungs is His breath sustaining me. Does these words sound like a man who understands that? No. And I pray that we never fall in the trap of pride because it's pride that'll have you wake up and go, I'll just do what I've always done. It's pride that'll have you think that you can do it in your own strength. It's, you, you can call it what you did. Some people say, oh, it's just experience. No, it's pride. It's pride that'll have you believe that you can overcome. It's pride that'll have you believe you can be married without the grace and strength of God. It's pride that'll have you believing that you can raise your kids without the spirit and the power of God. It's pride to believe that you can live this life without a day daily dependence upon His Word. It's pride to think that you can go a day or two or three without reading the Scriptures and being fed. It's pride to believe that you can do this life without Him. And this is why that was one of the, this is why I pray that we learn from this message this morning. May we never just go about business as usual. May we never be like Samson who just woke up and said, it'll be like before. Because that very posture led to the very next sentence that he did not know that the Lord had left him. Wow. He did not know that the Lord had left him. You know, when I was young, I uh, thought on this idea of a fear of the Lord and I thought it was just to be afraid of God. But really this fear of the Lord has got very little to being, being afraid of God, nothing to fear in Him. Because the Bible tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. And what is God if not perfect love? So really, fear of the Lord is not about being afraid of God. But I began to understand that this is what a fear of the Lord looks like. It's a fear that I would do this life without Him. I fear a life apart from God. So much so that I refuse to ever get to a point like Samson where I believe that everything that's happened in my life was because I'm good and I'm capable and I'm strong. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how accomplished you are. It doesn't matter how seasoned you are. In every season, in every moment, in every way, Lord, I need you. And above all else, I fear a life apart from you. Would you know, honest question, would you know if the Lord had left you? Do you live your life in such a way where you'd become keenly aware the moment the presence of God departed? Would you know? And if the answer to that isn't a, a resounding yes, that's, there's no con con condemnation in that. There's no shame in that. Every time we get around the Word together, I pray that it is a course correction, that you would be convicted and go, ooh, that stung a little bit. But I'd rather the sting of a friend than the kisses of an enemy who's taking you to the pit. 
your life is fine. Keep going as it is. Hey, high fives. Hey, apple pie. I don't know why I said apple pie. I don't even like apple pie. That things that come out of your mouth. <laughs> it's so dumb. I don't even like apple pie. I don't even have apple pie. I don't think apple pie is stupid. Lord, deliver me from my foolishness. Where words abound, sin abounds. You know, I've got to shut up. Um, I didn't know what I was saying. Oh, I pray that you never run from the harsh conviction of the Word of God. I pray even this morning as you think about your own life, man, I, if I'm truly honest with where I'm at, I don't, I don't know if I would know right away if the presence of God departed from me. And what that should cause you to do is not to shrivel up and shrink back and what it should cause you to do is go, oh God, would you, would you forgive me of my pride in thinking that I could do this without you? Oh God, again, I, I, I commit my life to you. Oh God, again, here I am again. And I say, Lord, would you do it again? Would you help me live again today? Would you help me go to work again today? Would, would you remind me again, Lord, that I only exist because of you? Would, would you walk with me today? Would you speak with me today? Would you grace me for today? Would you give me revelation for today? Would you teach me your ways again today? That is the posture of a person who lives in humility. Like a little child right here at my knees. Never assuming living wide-eyed. Don't worry about it. She's good. It's just the back is dangerous, but here's fun. She's in the anointing zone. Bless you in Jesus' name. Have you watched children wide-eyed, ever curious, never assuming, always seeking? I pray that's our heart's posture because that's the posture of humility. This right here. And as we get older, it'll hurt a little bit more. And as we get larger, the pants get tighter. <laughs> but that's my prayer for us. In fact, if you're looking for a title for this morning, put it up there. It's, it's this. Would you do it again, Lord? Would you do it again, Lord? I put it in there because it is the antithesis of what Samson is saying here. The heart of pride says, I will go out and do it again. But the heart of wisdom says, I recognize that it was always you. It was always Him. It's always been Him. I was just a vessel with which He displayed His glory, but it was always Him. And this morning I wake up and say, Lord, would you do it again? Because I know it wasn't me and it was always you. And then what ends up happening is that He gets... The Lord has departed from him. And um, what ends up happening is what Proverbs tells us about. In fact, a lot of scriptures. Let's, let's go to them. Let's go, I've got a few, few scriptures here for this morning. James chapter 4, verse 6. What happens to him is this. The Bible says this. God gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the what? Work with me. God opposes the what? The proud, but shows favor to the humble. You ask yourself, why would the Lord leave? Solomon, Samson, because he was proud and because God is true to his nature. God opposes the proud. The fastest way to rid yourself of the presence of God is to live in pride. 
because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the, to the wise uh, and to the humble. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. It goes on to say this. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit. I love that word, haughty. Or in your language, haughty. Sounds like you're saying haughty. Oh, he's a haughty, you know? <laughs> but you're all saying it's a haughty spirit. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. This is not an isolated incident. You look all throughout Scripture. Every king, every judge, every leader, every Pharisee, every, every single person in Scripture whose life went to water. That's for you, Wandi. Whose life went to water. She asked me the day, what does that mean? I said, well, just think about it. Thing is solid and then it goes to water. It just falls apart. So that's what I mean. It's just things fall apart. Every person whose life has ever fallen apart has just gone to water. Oftentimes, pride has come before it. Pride goes before destruction. Because think about it. When you fall into temptation, it's because you were too proud to seek the heaven's wisdom on how to resist it. You thought, I, I, I know what I'm doing. I, I, I can handle myself. I can be in that position without, without compromising myself. You think about those who've embezzled thousands upon thousands of dollars in, in finances. Again, they thought that, they thought that within themselves they are righteous and holy. I know what I'm doing. No, pride comes before destruction. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. The fastest way to have your whole life go to water and to sabotage the call of God in your life is to live in pride, is to live in a sense of going, I've got this. I'm Him, the most foolish thing that's ever been spoken. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. I told you when the, we're going to continue the wisdom series. When pride comes, then what? Then comes disgrace. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. With, Sol with Samson, I don't know why I keep saying Solomon because we're in Proverbs. Samson, his pride, if you read the story, it goes on to say this, that he thought he could do it, but he didn't realize the power of God had left him. And they overpowered him. They gouged his eyes out and they stripped him of everything and they defeated him. They bound him up and put him in, prison in a prison cell and he became their entertainment. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. It happened to King David. Pride led to him being tempted. He thought he was above it. He thought he was above the battle. He thought he didn't have to go. Pride comes and messed up with Bathsheba and he was then disgraced. But with humility, with humility comes wisdom. When I recognize I cannot, I need Jesus, comes a sense of humility going, God, would you strengthen me today? Would you, would you send your angels to encamp around me today? Would you, again, Lord, would you put a seal over my mind today? It's not a one and done kind of prayer. It is a daily dependence on the power and the grace of our God. That's humility and that leads to wisdom. Uh, Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. Sorry, I've got, got a bunch of scriptures for you. I think it's good that you get the Bible in you. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong, like Samson, of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts, boasts about this and this alone, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, in these kinds of evil I delight, declares the Lord. If you're gonna boast about anything, boast about Him at work in the world. Uh, I think that's it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop there for, in terms of those passages. But then the story goes on and, 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 and here's, I wanna read this to you and this will land the plane. 
uh, after they've gouged his eyes out, they've put him in prison cells. Uh, pick up from J uh, Judges chapter 16, verse 25. It says this, while the Philistines were in high spirits, they shouted, bring Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. When they, stood him, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now watch this. The temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. Everyone of great stature was there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. And this is the power of humility. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. What he failed to do earlier, he now had the wisdom to now do. He prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, would you remember me? Please God, strengthen me just once more. Is this not the prayer of a man who's been humbled? And had he started the day like that, he may have never been in this position in the first place. This is why my prayer is exactly this prayer. Lord, would you do it again? Would you strengthen me once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes? Watch what happens here. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Now watch this. Thus on that day, Samson killed more Philistines when he died than when he lived. I was reading a commentary about this and this is ooh, powerful. It says, it shows some similarities because I'll take a little quick ad break here. Sometimes we read stories of like David and, and Samson and we try and impose ourselves on their stories and we want to be Samson. We want to be David who defeat Goliath. But the truth is, we aren't the heroes in any of the story. In fact, Samson is a picture and a, again, one of the precursors of Jesus. And it draws a, a lot of parallels, which I don't have the time to go into, maybe another day. But it draws a lot of parallels between what Jesus came to do and what Samson did. And, and here's the greatest parallel I found. That Samson, just like our God, his life, in fact, I want to read this right because it says this, Samson, like our God, achieved more in his death than he did in his life. Is that not true of Jesus? Jesus achieved more in his death on the cross than he did performing miracles on the earth. Is the same true for Samson. Samson achieved more in his death. He killed more Philistines and did more damage to the Philistine way of life in his death than he did his life. That's what humility will do. Humility is the daily act of dying to oneself and saying, Lord, I need you. It's what John prays, which for so long people thought was a sign of weakness. It is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of understanding that I can achieve more when I die and I let God live in and through me. This is what Paul means when to live is Christ. 
to live is not to live as unto Valerie. To live is not unto to live as unto you, Graziella. To live is not unto to live as you, Sebastian. To live is unto Christ. What does that mean? It means I have to die to self every day. John says this, I must become less and less so that he can become greater and greater. To live is Christ, which means I must die to self because that is the power of humility. When we die to self, we will achieve much more than what we can when we still want to live. If we don't choose to die daily and surrender our lives to Him, we will never be all that God has called us to be. So my encouragement to you this morning as I finish this message is this. Would our heart's posture be one of humility? Flee from a spirit of pride because it leads to disgrace. It leads to departure of the presence of God and it leads to humiliation. But instead, lean in to humility and daily, in every moment, in every season, in every way, my heart's posture would be, I die to self and with arms raised, I say, Lord, would you do it again? Not me, but you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.